1: This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. I empower leaders to turn indifferent customers into loyal fans. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights and wisdom. We give you practical tips and proven frameworks and share ways to help you delight your customers. I've been doing some research on what's most important to business leaders and I've heard three major themes. Number one, their employees are burned out and feel overwhelmed. Number two, they're concerned about customer retention. And number three, they want to address customer friction, whether it's controllable or not, but they need actionable results. As a result, I've created the 120-day Quick Start, a four-step program designed to go from current state assessment to specific strategies to get you actionable results in 120 days. If you want to make a quick impact, check out empoweredcx.com for more information. I'd love to talk to you.
0: Um, that discretionary effort is what happens when people go above and beyond and they feel good about going above and beyond. And customers feel that too. You know, when someone isn't just playing by the rule book. Um, you know, and and employees, you know, do that. They, they bend over backwards, or they they do a little bit extra, or they think about something extra. Again, it's not always frontline employees. Sometimes it's it's things that are designed and planned out way behind the scenes that are then delivered to the um, to the customers. But I think it is that that intrinsic motivation that unlocks that extra bit of let me do something above and beyond.
1: Well, I am so excited to have my guest, Greg Kilstrom, on the show today. He is from GK5A. And uh, I Greg and I met a long time ago, it seems like another lifetime ago. He ran basically as a marketing agency and helped me with the development back when I was doing consulting the first time 15 years ago. My business was called True Colors Consulting, and Greg helped with uh, all the marketing, the branding, the website, uh, all that strategy around that. He was fantastic. And then come to find out all these years later, he we, we ended up, our roads ended up crossing again as he and I both got into the customer experience world. Um, I, I guess I know for me, it was a decade ago. And he has done all this amazing thing, and he blends his marketing expertise and background with his customer expertise background that he has developed. He's written a number of books and just a really smart guy. So we're going to have a fun conversation today and hopefully give you some insight about how you can turn in different customers into loyal fans and delight your customers. So welcome to the show, Greg. Oh, thanks. Yeah, looking forward to talking with you. Yeah. And so Greg, also a podcaster. Um, he His podcast is called The Agile Brand. And uh, I'm excited that he has invited me at some point here in the future to be a guest on his show. Uh, but Greg is um, Greg, if you don't mind, you're you have such an amazing background. Um, share with the audience how you came from where you were to get into the world of customer experience.
0: Yeah, sure. So I'll I'll try to keep it relatively brief, but um, you know, so I started uh, a marketing agency, Marcus, as, as you mentioned, uh, called Carousel Thirty. I started in early two thousands, and uh, you, we did a lot in the digital realm, so web design, social media. You know, really starting in two thousand three, we saw the rise of a lot of a lot of um, interesting things um, like social media as a marketing tool and personalization and programmatic advertising, things like that. Um, so I, I ran that company for about 14 years. And I would say towards the end of that, um, that time frame, I started um, having a few frustrations. I mean, first, um, it was a great experience having the company. I ended up selling it at the end of the, of, of the 14 years. But I started getting a little frustrated in the process of, you know, clients would hire my my company and I thought we did a great job with branding and and advertising and marketing, but there were a lot of things that we couldn't control. Um, And a lot of those things turned into what I started realizing more and more were customer experience, product experience, and even employee experience. And so, you know, we could create a great brand and a great marketing campaign, but if the experience that the customers had with the product or service was not great, then the campaign ultimately wouldn't be as successful as it could be. And so, you know, that, that led me to, to kind of dive deeper into, okay, well, what if I had more of a say, or what if, you know, what if I had a little more control over that, or at least where it was working with the people that had more control over that experience. And so that kind of just, that led me to, you know, diving deeper into customer experience. And then um, the more I got involved in customer experience, I started realizing, well, okay, if there's unhappy employees that are creating the products, delivering the products and, you know, frontline employees interacting with the customers, they're not going to have a good customer experience. And so that kind of led me even deeper into employee experience. And so, you know, I've, I've, I had a, after selling the the agency, I, I really you know dove into those those aspects for a while, and then at, as of late, I've been actually doing a little bit more back in the marketing world, but informed by all of that experience and all of those different those different aspects. And I think it it just it gives a lot of empathy and a lot of um, insight into why. There is, sometimes isn't a great customer experience, and um, and and yeah, that kind of leads me to today.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great, and I know you're you're serving on um, an advisory board at the University of Richmond. They have a CX group, and also did, did some things with Virginia Tech as well, right? Yeah, yeah, I served on the
0: marketing advisory board at Virginia Tech, and the yeah, CX advisory board at um university of richmond and yeah done, done a bit with cxpa as well helped with the the book of knowledge effort as well
1: and um and uh, yeah so uh for those people who may be watching I'll, I'll hold this out um if if you're interested there's uh the i guess the first six or seven or eight books uh, within this book have, have come out and this is the book of knowledge. So all the different topics related to CX and Greg was one of the people involved in writing um, the book. I was one of the reviewers, but you guys did all the heavy lifting.
0: There was uh, a lot of people involved yeah. in that project. I, my, my piece was like that small, but still really some really great people involved in it. And I mean, I learned just from being surrounded by the people writing and talking
1: and discussing this
0: stuff so that was was a great experience in and of
1: itself Hmm. all right well all really interesting stuff so um it, it let's let's dive into that uh a little bit starting with the the last book the center of experience yeah um and so um, so this is sort of uh, blending together the customer experience and the employee experience, um, and how they work together, and and maybe how to operationalize the CX with your team members. So tell tell us a little bit more about that, yeah. Kind of the the highlights. Here. Yeah, I mean,
0: well, you know, first of all, I think we've all experienced this, and and I think the you know of late, um, you know, whether it was the pandemic with staffing shortages or just we've all been that customer that was like, man, you know, I love this company. I love this brand, but what in the world is going on with the, you know, the higher, the onboarding, the training, all of that. It's not even that you know, the employees are not well-intentioned. It's um, when they're not tr- when the employees aren't treated well, uh, the, the customers feel it. And so um, I tried to, I tried to tackle that from, from both angles of, okay, if we were to start, at the, the, the center of, of the wheel, so to speak, is let's make sure that we have a great culture and treat our employees well and train them well and, and all of that. And then those employees will then be motivated because I think employee motivation is so key here. And again, we feel it when they're not motivated. We've seen it, you know, they're on their cell phones when they should be working or they're whatever the case may be. They're just, uh, you know, even the the employees that are not on the front lines, you know, think about a product, you know, like even a web-based product that you've used. How many times have you used something and you're like, man, they don't get me. Like if, if they only actually understood what I as the customer needed, um, you know, this, this product would be so much better. And, you know, those are not frontline employees. Those are people sitting behind a, a computer writing code, everybody needs to be aligned with, with the customer. And so you know, I took that, that premise of kind of ma- making a wheel, employees at the center serving customers in a variety of different ways, you know, everything from the brand and you know what we would know traditionally is the branding and, and marketing side to you know, measuring the platforms that are used and the governance of, of all of these things and, and several different aspects that kind of build up this, this center of experience really based on a center of excellence model.
1: Well, really, really interesting, and I know I know the framework that CXPA uses involves culture and accountability as one of the five, um, what I would call comp- CX competencies. And it sounds like you know when you talk about steering committees um, and governance teams, um, that that goes into managing a portfolio of projects and how to prioritize and execute on those. So that that's that's one thing I'd love to dig into a little bit more, and then also you talked about you know really treating the employees well. Um, say more about what that means to to get motivated, as you say, motivated employees. Like what's involved in that?
0: Yeah, and I think um, I, I think a lot of companies um, get it right, but so many more don't. And you know, so I think the one of the key concepts is. Intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. And so um, we all know extrinsic motivators as, okay, you know, you get a salary bump, you get, um, you know, you you get either financial rewards or something, you know, something like it. And what has been well documented and and researched is that, yes, up to a certain point, that's great. Everybody needs a certain amount of money to not only live, but live comfortably. And yes, it's always nice to get a bonus, but after a certain point, it's, it ceases to motivate further. And so intrinsic motivation on the other side, these are things that it doesn't really cost dollars out of the company's pockets, but um, providing more educational opportunities, more opportunities to um, help from an altruistic perspective that could be either, you know, a volunteer effort, like a, you know, a CSR type effort esG effort, whatever that might be or it also could even be mentoring other employees or you know there's a lot of different things that intrinsically motivate someone i mean for for me i'm I'm motivated when I can do something that I've never done before and that maybe not that many people have done before so you know innovation and 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 learning kind of together that's that's such a motivator to me and it means so much more than, uh, you know a, a small bump in in pay or or something like that and so understanding that um, intrinsic motivation is such a uh, not only it does it help but it sustains and it you know it it keeps people motivated longer than okay I'm gonna get my annual bonus so I'm gonna stick around for another you know another three months um, so th- that really at the key you know at, at the heart of things is um, is what Know what helps motivate those employees, and then it uh, the the important part is it unlocks discretionary effort. So it's not just I'm going to do my job so I don't get fired. Um, you know, I think quiet (coughs) quitting and, and all that stuff, some of that is just people were probably working too hard to begin with, and now they're just working the normal amount that people should probably work for a salary. But um, that discretionary effort is what happens when people go above and beyond and they feel good about going above and beyond and customers feel that too, you know, when someone isn't just playing by the rule book, um, you know, and and employees, you know, do that. They they bend over backwards or they they do a little bit extra or they think about something extra. Again, it's not always frontline employees. Sometimes it's it's things that are designed and planned out way behind the scenes that are then delivered to the um, to the customers. But I think it is that that intrinsic motivation that unlocks that extra bit of, let me do something above
1: and beyond. Yeah. So a lot of times in, in my podcast, I like to pull out gems and just repeat them for, for people listening. And that whole idea of intrinsically motivating employees for discretionary effort, right? Just, just so important. And um, I know, I know as an illustration to piggyback on your point um you know at the at the bank i worked at we had a group called the experience champions group and and they ran for you know roughly a year i think the last one was eight months um and so they graduated and and you know but they got they got to and they got the executives joining them seeing their final presentations connecting their work with something that leadership cared about yeah they, they got involved in, um, for example, we did an employee assessment, employee survey, and there were top priorities that came out of that. So they might have done more, for example, more discovery on, on some of the data we got back from that, or even tried to recommend a solution to a particular problem. Let's say it was around communication. Um, and they... They, they got together as a teamwork collaboratively. a lot of them didn't work with each other ever. you know, a lot of them, as you describe, were we don't we don't like to use the word back office um, in, in a supportive role, uh, in a functional role and but they got to and I and I think one of the things that you're able to do there, and you t- I'd love to get your thoughts is or one of the ways to get uh, intrinsic value, and discretionary effort as a result is to connect the dots for people to see how their role adds meaning to the organizational organizational goals and not not just the outcomes of those goals like revenue profit and but the things that get done right that lead to those other goals right Tell me what your thoughts are on yeah, that.
0: Yeah, I mean I I often say, you know, every, every employee should have some kind of line of sight to the customer. And so, you know, mm. ex- exactly what you just said is, you know, if if we can tie them to some kind of I mean, yes, out, revenue outcomes and all that. I mean, that also helps. Mm. I mean, that helps when we're talking about, you know, raises and promotions and all that stuff too, but um, I I agree. I mean, I think if we can if we can tie it to some kind of customer Experience that they are relate directly related to. Honestly, if you if you try a little bit, it's really hard not to find a direct line, you know, somehow. And sometimes, yeah, maybe it takes a little creativity, but um, at least at the team level, if not at the very individual and and task level, you should be able to do that. And and when when organizations have been able to do that, then I mean, the results are phenomenal. Because again, everyone has that additional purpose in their job of you know besides just showing up so they don't get fired
1: yeah and greg when when you when you think about um i'm so glad you brought that point up about everybody has well everybody should have a line of sight to the end customer but that everybody does have a role in that link in that chain that leads to the what we deliver to the customer in the end and i was thinking about like if you work for an insurance company um and you say, well, I work in the I work in the support role. Um, I I do underwriting, or I let's just say you're in 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 legal, or you're in regulatory, and you're involved in writing up some of the some of the agreements or some of the documentation that a customer would need to sign. So they're signing, they they're getting some of these documents at a moment where they've had to file a claim. So if they've had to file a claim, something probably bad has happened, right? It's not a good thing that has happened. Right. And it's an emotional thing. And it's a really tough thing. And so they get this document where already they're, they're under a lot of stress and pressure and anxiety, and they get this document they can't even make sense of, right? So wouldn't that be an example of how everybody can make a difference?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great example. I think, you know, the, the finance de, you know, department, like how you, what happens if you're, credit card payment doesn't go through on an invoice, you know, all of those, Mm. but I mean, yeah, the insurance example, that is a great time where, you know, there are regulations in place or, you know, in this case, there's a contract that has to be signed and they're not going to change the language to make someone feel better, but the way they do it, There's so there's so much latitude in the way that it could be presented as opposed to basically just here sign this and good luck with it, you know, and that's that's where, you know, there is still so much room to move there. And, you know, it's that's that's where someone thinking a little bit above and beyond and saying, OK, you know what you what you were just um, saying is, OK, this is this is a rough time this is a document, I can't change the language in this document. But what can I do to actually, you know, empathize with the customer a little bit right now? Uh, You you know, it's, it's either it's surprising or not how um, few times that that that's changed, you know, it's sort of like, oh, well, my job is to get a signature. That's, you know, that's that other team down the hall, that's their job to make the customer feel good, right. And that's, you know, that's, that's a bad excuse.
1: You know, I, re- I remember a conversation I had once with someone in an organization and they said, well, we work in legal and our job is to protect the company. Right. And while there, that is 100% true, that is that is true. Well, the, the illustration we just gave in terms of at some point, somebody's got to Somebody's going to be a customer who gets maybe gets some of these documents. Could we make it customer friendly? Do we have that option? And to your point, either in the delivery or the communication of that document, if we can't alter it. So um I, I think that's fascinating. I'm so glad you laid out a framework in, in your book. And you, you know, you're thinking about that. Um, there is a direct correlation. I used to say inextricably linked the employee experience and the and the customer experience. Um, and and in the way and i love the way you broke it down between intrinsic and extrinsic and and the way i think about that in terms of if you're if you're a leader and again i'd like to get your opinion but if you're a leader um the extrinsic are are now just table stakes like you you have to get that salary grading and the levels right you have to get the bonuses right you have to get the benefits right you have to get the PTO and the vacation those you just have to you just have to kind of get right for the job but what's really going to go change from i'm an employee here i'm happy to I can't wait to go to work. I'm going to give you that discretionary effort is the intrinsic motivators. Would you agree? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. I think the, the extrinsic stuff is, yeah, It what it's what keeps them from maybe looking on a job posting site for another job, right? It's the, it's yeah. the bare minimum. And, you know, but yeah, it's, it's the in, uh, intrinsic stuff. And I mean, Again, the good news is, yeah, it takes a little bit of effort, but it doesn't take a lot of money. It doesn't take a lot of time. You know, there are programs that you can put in place um, that that help with a lot of this stuff. And everyone is, is a little bit different. I mean, not everyone's motivated by the same things that I'm motivated by, but there are a lot of things that many employees share. And so therefore, you know, programs like learning is, is a very common one that, that is shared among a lot of people. It's not some people may not, but um, so having opportunities to learn more on the job and, and do things like that, that's an easy way that also benefits the employer because wouldn't it be great to have employees that are learning more and motivated to learn more and also motivated to do better work and provide better customer experience. So, you know, it's, it's sort of a, Um, it's a virtuous cycle if you do it well. And, and, you know, I think as a, as a leader and as someone who's managed plenty of people as well, I mean, taking the time to understand what motivates someone, I think is also just being a good manager and then understanding the similarities and, and the differences where, you know, maybe one person is really motivated by recognition. And, you know, so there's all these like employee recognition programs and, and that's really, really great for some people. I, I like to collect, you know, titles and 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 things like that. So maybe I'm one of those people too. But there's plenty of people that they don't want the spotlight and they actually they just don't want that. They want something else. They want leave me alone, give me autonomy and let me learn and and grow and and all that stuff in my own way. And so, you know, as a manager thinking along those lines kind of forces you to be a better manager and a more empathetic manager and and you know, provide a little bit for the diversity in the team. Not everybody wants the same things
1: well well said really really uh important to personalize it for each person and find out what you can tap into that motivates them excellent excellent conversation so that was um the book before this most recent book and then the most recent book is um meaningful measurement uh, of experience right yeah of the customer experience, yeah. Me- of customer experience so um so you you describe why you wrote it in uh, up at the top um, so if I am a leader again of an organization I'll just throw this out if you're a wealth management you 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 are a owner or general manager of a of a, f- a financial advisory organization you own an insurance company you you're a leader at a bank um for for example, what are the kinds of things that um, qualify as meaningful measurement yeah yeah so i
0: actually um i i have four qualifiers here and um i'm gonna refer to my screen here because i know i wrote the book but i i um i want to get this right so there's there's four kind of qualifiers of what i call a meaningful measure and so first is that it's consequential and so it's not you know it, it has a direct impact on the business i think as much as we want to talk about CX and EX and, and all of this stuff, if we can't tie it back to business value and returns, it's not going to get the investment and the attention of leadership. So, you know, consequential is, is the first one. Understandable is the second one. And that just means, okay, if I say I came up with this fancy score and it's compiled from a million different things and you should really pay attention to it and think it's it's um it's important if i can't explain that metric in a very short amount of words it's it's just not gonna it's not gonna be as impactful and as meaningful um so we have to be able to understand the calculations that we're making and that we're putting out out there as as important actionable um just you know what what can i do with it directly you know if if i Again, to use that example of the the metric or the the composite score or whatever we want to call it that's hard to understand, that same metric might be hard to, okay, well, what happens when that score goes down? What do I actually do about it? It's actually a a complaint I have about things like Net Promoter Score and CSAT sometimes is I think there's plenty of value in those, but I have plenty of um, critique about them too because when... NPS goes down. Okay, well, what do I do next month or next quarter exactly to fix that? Because it's this big score that's compiled based on this, you know, how however long customer experience. So actionable is 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 very important. Um, and then the last one is repeatable. Is you know, and that that is one where NPS and, and others are, I think, are great. Is um, you know, can I keep running this to get a relative measure over time? Cause I think that's, that's really the power of some of those, um, some of those scores like CSAT and, and NPS is we do it every month, every quarter, every year or whatever. And we can actually see those scores dip and, you know, dip and rise and, and stuff like that. And then we know that something's going on. I think the, where it gets challenging is again, diagnosing, okay, well, what, what happened to cause that dip or that rise? And how do we either do more or less of that?
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I want to ask a follow up question. But first, I want to take a moment to um, translate for some of our our people who may not come from a CX background. So CSAT customer satisfaction score, usually some some scale. Uh, You understand what that means. And then net promoter score, NPS net promoter score is the difference between those people who give you a very high score versus those people who give you a lower score promoters versus detractors and then the net of that score in aggregate is is an a promoter score and uh, it's been tied to customer loyalty um, but as 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 greg mentioned it's a metric not a measurement and that means it's a little harder to action on just by looking at the score. So, so that creates a problem in that particular one of one of uh, Greg's four categories. So having said that those are as you described, those are lagging indicators. In other words, after a customer will give you a a grade or a score at some point after they've had the experience. And, um, and then what, what you're talking about is, well, maybe there's some things that are either real time, which like is just now happening, or, or um, has already happened, like a lagging indicator. So tell tell us tell us about maybe a couple of those those measurements that might be something people should think about using.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I think there's a lot of, um, so, you know, there's there's several different ways to kind of um, slice and dice metrics. So you know, we can certainly we can look at it in terms of you know, there's quantitative measures that you know, everything from Real time, you know, website metrics. If you're on a, in an e-commerce checkout, and you know, we're seeing funnel drop off and, and things like that, we can we can start to to determine things. There's certainly qualitative um, that whether that's sentiment analysis, comments made, and you know, it's kind of the the free text part of the the Net Promoter Score surveys that we all get after we buy something or, or anything like that. Um, another mm-hmm. category that I um that I talk about in the book is more holistic measures, so um measuring the journey itself, and so I think that's where there's a lot of promise and um and uh, to get a better understanding of so some of I guess to talk about some of the challenges and you touched on this already of the the idea of the lagging indicator, you know we ask a question about you know what was your experience like or you know another one is customer effort score like how easy was it to you know to use the product or check out or or whatever the whatever the task was. Um, but we asked that after the fact and so you know I I know I have a short memory. If I get what I want I'm generally happy and, and I'm not going to complain too much. If I had if I had a problem right towards the end it's going to stick with me and I, I might say something or or react negatively. Not everyone's like me of course but you know as a lagging indicator we only get the information that someone chooses to share with us and what they remember and what they find important. If we are measuring all along the way and, you know, capturing information in real time, near real time, or even, you know, just as they go and we, we look at the metrics afterwards, we're able to see things that maybe even a customer didn't notice, but, oh, wow, again, I'm just going to keep using the the checkout, you know, the checkout process as an example here. Wow, that page took Ten times longer to load than normal. They didn't say anything about being dissatisfied, but they didn't buy as much as the normal customer does. So maybe they were just frustrated and wanted to just get out of there and, and not worry about this process anymore, or you know. So we're able to see things and, and tie things together, or maybe the the net promoter score or customer satisfaction dipped a little bit and we look back and yeah, our platform was really slow, or there were a lot of like timeouts on, you know, on, uh, you know, on on the product or something like that. And so um, mixing these different metrics together also gives us a better insight. And I think that's where it goes back to being able to diagnose and actually figure out what's going on and not just saying, okay, well, things, things, the needle moved in one direction or another, you know, either, you know, we can celebrate or, cry in our beers or whatever, but like we don't actually know why until we actually look and dig through the the quantitative and and some of those other types of metrics. Um and then I guess one one last thing is just um I think there's another whole category of metrics that is is underserved and not looked at as much. And that's the internal stuff. And so I mentioned some of the product related stuff of like, you know, the mm. the IT team or the engineering or technology teams are looking at Website uptimes and and stuff like that, but I think CX teams could stand to look at some of that from their own lens. But there's also process. You know, what is the how many people does it take to solve a customer's problem? Even if the customer was happy with the solution, if it took like ten hands to get from you know problem to solution, that's not repeatable. That's not sustainable, and that's gonna break, right? And so I think some of the process metrics, um, either ca- should be highlighted a little bit more or should be created in the first place. I think a lot of orgs are not looking at it in that way. They're just happy that things get done. And, um, you know, that also creates a bad employee experience if they're, if they're suffering to kind of serve the customer in the right way. Um, you know, that looking at those process metrics, um, can, can really help that as well.
1: Yeah, that, that's, that's really important. I, I, I love that you broke it down by process and product. Um, and, and I think about the, and earlier we were talking about, um, the, the, the experience metrics, which tend to be thought of as things like net promoter or or customer satisfaction, these sentiment, what, how the customers feel about their experience, which tend to be lagging indicators, um, and then and then these other processes, and th- those are really operational. Um, so you've got the X and the O, experience and operational data coming, coming together to kind of tell a story. And then there's also the data that, you know, c- that, that can be harvested, for example, in phone conversations that aren't reported. They're not scored, they're not reported, they're tracked, but they're now with technology, there's a way to collect that data to transcribe that data and then have things like AI. Um, in fact, there's a guy, um, a guy named Richard Owen who's going to be coming on the on the podcast. Who was the CEO of SAP Metrics, who st- is starting an AI. It's O C X Recognition. is his company. It's AI, and he's. He's talking about, you know, that specific category of data. What what are your thoughts since you're kind of in this world? What are your thoughts about all that kind of data?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's extremely helpful and it gives insight into things that, I mean, I think it's all about, you know, how do we get, um, as long as we have the, you know, privacy and consent and, and all that stuff to do all that stuff, which, you know, of course we yeah. would, but um, it's all about how do we get answers to questions that customers may not Want either want to share or um, you know know or think to share. You know, it's again, it's in their own best interest that we understand them better and are able to serve them better. But um, you know, not everybody wants to fill out a survey. Uh, you know, not, uh, and sometimes people need to buy a product, even though they don't like the company that they're buying it from. And so, you know, we get all these kind of um, misleading metrics sometimes, Uh, you know, sometimes somebody may just hit score a, a 10 out of 10 on a, on a survey just to close the window and like move on with their lives. And so, you know, doing things like sentiment analysis and all of that, I mean, that helps us get to, okay, yeah, you know, they're, They've bought from us and they might buy again, but they're not going to go out and tell all their friends about it. They're, you know, they're just trying to get through the day and they had a challenge and they need to solve it. And and buying our product was was a way to do that. But they're really frustrated and they're frustrated. And we know this because this is the way they talk to us when they have a problem or when they buy something from us or when they talk to us at all. And so, yeah, I, I think it's it's very valuable to be able to do that. I think it not only helps that customer but it helps all the customers and it helps the people delivering the products i mean they're doing the best they can you know the the employees that are building these things and and delivering but um you know they're they're only you know their work is only as good as the data that they really have to um to go off of
1: yeah yeah well well fascinating conversation and i know uh, i don't know how you keep cranking out books but I, i know you've got another one coming out now in January. So tell us about that and what the topic is about. Yeah. Yeah. It's
0: called house of the customer. And so this is a little more in the, a little more marketing focused as a, as opposed to, to customer experience focused, but really um, a lot of the work that I've been doing, you know, my, my day job is as a consultant, I work with uh, you know, fortune 500s and, and similar companies to really help implement um, strategies. So, um, and I've been working a lot in the marketing technology space, and very much related to customer experience, and, and informed by all that that CX work that I've done. But house of the customer is really about um, how do we take and build the kinds of infrastructure that helps it helps marketers, it helps CX professionals, it helps even technology teams within organizations, and most importantly, it helps customers have a better experience, a more personalized experience and uh, a longer lasting experience. And you know, when, when that happens, when we have greater customer lifetime value, customers win, the brands win, everybody wins.
1: Yeah, so, so I love this, this idea of personalization and the ability, the ability to get better and better at that. Um, the, I had um, Alex Genoff from Zappos on and he he uses the term he um, meaningful personalization. And he contrasts that with what sometimes people are uh, companies are going after big data. And the big data, the illustration he said is like, I bought a barbecue, love my barbecue. Every week I get a, c- a promotional item, do I want to buy a barbecue? Because I guess I fit that big data, you know, filter. Um, but meaningful personalization is, is truly that. I mean, there's some intelligence and some, some um, boy, what a difference that would make if I was a customer, right. You're giving me really, you you're just giving me the things that I'm interested in and not all the other noise. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Unless you're starting a barbecue store, you know, you probably need yeah. one at a time. Right. Um, so, yeah. Right. I, and I think that's where, uh, and then I think even, even more rudimentary is what I call substitution, which is, the, you know, insert first name here or, or that stuff. And, you know, a lot of people call that personalization. It's really, it's really not. I, I think the best personalization is when we actually think about the customer journey and um, what that looks like from the customer's perspective. It's not what we want the customer to buy and when. It's what is a customer actually going through and what's the next best action for them in their lives. And so, you know, the, uh, an easy one there, you know, in the financial services space is like, you go through a series of steps and not everybody has the same journey in their life, but generally speaking, you're going to go through several different stages in your life. And, um, you know, you're going to buy a car, you're going to buy a house. You may have a family you, there, your family, your kids may go to college, you know, all of, all of this stuff, there is a journey that you're on. And so, you know, to, to pretend that, you're going to buy a car every, you know, every year or something like that. Let's, let's think more holistically about what is that person actually going to, you know, what are the, what are the challenges, but also what are the opportunities that we can present them with? And, you know, a lot of work that I'm doing now is in working in customer journey orchestration. And so using AI tools to to be able to do that Mm -hmm. again, not just from, a marketer or a cx perspective where okay wouldn't it be nice if they did this and then that it's more okay when presented with a series of options what is the propensity that someone's actually going to do one thing over the other and let's show them the thing that is going to be not only most helpful to them but you know create that greater lifetime value for that customer which again benefits
1: everybody hmm. very fascinating well you are a busy guy. <laughs> I try. <laughs> uh, that's a lot. That's a lot of books. I wish I had that kind of energy to write, write like that. <laughs> um, and uh, and so uh, thank you so much. This has been an intriguing and insightful conversation. If, um, if our uh, audience would be interested in knowing where to find you, um, I already mentioned before that you're the podcast host of the Agile Brand podcast um where else where else might they uh, and obviously we we talked about several of your books what's the best way for them to find you and get a hold of you yeah
0: so two things um the i mean first the podcast is available on you know ever apple spotify all the all the major channels so you know just search for the agile brand so two things um i have a website uh, gregkellstrom.com it's k i h l s t r o m um no one ever spells it right so uh, i think if you spell it in some combination of those letters you might get it um, I'm also um, very active on LinkedIn, so you know, please connect with me. You know, let me know you heard me on this show, and you know, I'd be I'd be more than happy to um, to chat and talk a little bit more.
1: That's excellent. So we'll have that in, in contact information, the books, and uh, and your LinkedIn profile info on the sh- in the show notes. Great. What a great what a great conversation, Greg. Thank you so much for being on the Delighted Customers Podcast. Yeah, no, thanks so much. It's always great to talk with you. Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'd like to ask you a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com.